Hey, it's Jess Massa. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTF Health. All this talk about the future of health is brought to you in part by our sponsors, Transparent, OneDrop, Wheel, Pfizer, Vita Health, Utopia, 120 over 80 marketing and Bayer G4A. And don't forget, if you want to check out the video version of this interview, head on over to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash WTF health. It's Jessica Damasa with WTF Health. What's the future of health? I'm talking to the who's who of health tech and healthcare innovation. And today I am talking to this legend right here at ATA 2022. This is Alexandra Drain, for those of you who do not know, one of my idols in healthcare. Like, woman to talk about the unmentionables in healthcare and the things that we're not talking about. And so we are going to get into a conversation here about caregivers. We're going to start there and see where this goes. But Alex, so happy to see you. I'm incredibly happy to be here. It is nice to feel sort of back in the throw of things, and what better way to do it than be chatting with you. Oh my gosh, so sweet. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about caregivers, because the organization that you are CEO and founder of now is Archangels, and so you've been, like, devoted to this space of, like, yet another unmentionable. It's like taking care of the people who take care of people. So talk to me about, like, start high level, explain what Archangels does, why you founded this, and, like, what it is that you're trying to do in terms of really empowering the caregiver and, like, starting a movement behind this group of people. You know, it's funny. You and I have known each other for long enough to know that while I am a huge believer in people feeling personally extraordinarily fired up about something, which I do about the space, having been a caregiver multiple, multiple times myself, what actually led us to focus on unpaid caregiving was the data. So back in the days when I was at Eliza, starting way back in 2000, we found when we were interacting with individuals in data-driven ways about their health, if you gave them an opportunity to describe for themselves what it was that was really driving their health or lack thereof, their ability to focus on better health or lack thereof, it was these things we called the unmentionables. It was these life challenges. And in their words, when we finally learned, thank you, Susanna Fox, to ask them, okay, what is it? What they would say back, these individuals that we were interacting with, it's caregiver stress, it's financial stress, it's relationship stress, and workplace stress. So when we left Eliza and wanted to go focus specifically on unpaid caregiving, it was because what we learned, again, in this very data-driven way, over a billion data points at Eliza, was that being an unpaid caregiver is the epicenter of life sucks disease, right? The unmentionables led us to coin the phrase, it's life sucks disease, because that's how it feels. So if you're an unpaid caregiver, you will have financial stress, you have workplace stress, you will have relationship stress. And the other thing I cannot stress enough is being an unpaid caregiver while it is one of the hardest jobs any of us will ever have, it is also one of the most glorious. It is one of the most magnificent. Any unpaid caregiver out there, I love you, I see you, I support you, you rock. Aww. And so what are you doing with this organization with Archangels? Like, what are you doing? Like, how are you helping support these people? Yeah. So, I'm old. You are not old. I'm deliciously old. <laughs> this is what happens when you get older, you're like, I'm not dead, that's fantastic. <laughs> is one of the things that um, I've seen over and over again in the healthcare space is like what I would call like the run to the light syndrome. Like run to the light, let's do this, everything new. What we've sort of seen over time is just because something has been built does not mean you'll be able to engage people within it. So Archangels has really four main components. We do campaigns, engagement campaigns, to get to individuals who otherwise would never see themselves in these roles to validate for them what we call their caregiver intensity and to figure out what's driving that intensity and what's alleviating it. And then we crosswalk them, part three, is we crosswalk them over to resources that exist. They're not our resources. There are so many beautiful investments being made. Telehealth, 
right? All sorts of resources that exist to help people who need support in any aspect of their caregiving or their care. So we do the campaigns, we get people to be validated in their intensity, then we crosswalk them over to the resources that are specifically helpful for them in that moment. We do that in scale. And we do that in highly personalized ways, even though we're not the resource. And then, of course, underlying all this, I am a data geek, yeah. as you know. And I've always been a data geek, right? Because I think data gives the brain permission to believe. And if you're talking to CFO, you better have the data. Mm -hmm. We know stories are what engage the heart, and that's where behavior change happens. But you really got to have that combination, but you got to lead with that data. And so underlying everything that Archangels does is hardcore data that we use to turn around and convince people to invest, whether that's a state, uh, an employer, a health plan. All right, tell me about caregiver intensity. Got a scale there? Yeah, we do. Yeah, and you know, in, the, in a past life, what we were looking at was a presence and magnitude of those four life challenges against your personal balance of positive and negative coping factors. Caregiving intensity is what we focus on now as it relates specifically to being an unpaid caregiver. What I can tell you is 43% of adults are now in this role as of COVID. 70%, this is from the study we published as part of the COPE initiative with the CDC, um, partnership with WHOOP, for example. 70% um, of those 43% of adults as of COVID have at least one significant mental health impact, right? So if you're looking for behavioral health, look no further than unpaid caregivers. 23% of adults across the U.S. right now are in a sandwich generation role. So they're caring for youngers as a parent or guardian, someone under 18, at the same time that they're caring for someone who's older um, or people who are older. I'm going to break the U.S. into four cohorts because I know you'll roll with me on geek component. <laughs> So cohort one is not serving in any unpaid capacity at all. And I'm gonna look at the ultimate manifestation or unultimate manifestation of behavioral health distress, which is suicidal ideation. So as of COVID, cohort one, which we'll say the baseline, no caregiver responsibilities, four and a half percent have thought about suicide in the last 30 days. Okay. Cohort two is a population who is serving in this parent or guardian role to someone or people under 18. Okay. It doubles to 9%. Cohort three is that population that's caring for somebody over than 18 or people who are over, over 18, and that's 10%. Okay. Take a guess at what do you think that sam cohort four, sandwich generation, youngers and elders at the same time, what percentage of that, it doesn't have to be elders, I'm so sorry, under 18, and then everything from 18 to 118, however long enough you're lucky to live, what's that, what's the percentage of suicidal ideation there? In a month? Like the last month. Okay. What percentage of that? I don't know, 18%, let's say. It's actually 52%. 52? Mm -hmm. so oh, my God. Yeah, and what that I will say, Alex, <laughs> you beautiful, it's shocking. That's shocking. Right? We were asked by somebody, how does that data make you feel? And we said, horrifying. What do you think about it? We said, it's horrifying and heartening. And they said, how can you say that that's heartening? And we said, because if you're a sandwich station caregiver, you have felt that. You just thought you were the only one. Yeah. And there's nothing. One of the first lines of care is knowing you're not alone. And so, hey, all you sandwich generation caregivers, if you walk into a room of other sandwich generation caregivers, it's more normal than not that that population has been has actively thought about suicide. I literally have chills right now because I think that that is so beautiful. But that's like that is something that you have done in healthcare all along. Like, I mean, talking about the things that nobody talks about and just kind of helping people recognize. Like, I mean, what you just said a few minutes ago, you know, about like most people don't even realize that they're in that unpaid caregiver role. Like, wait a minute, what? I am? Like, how? I mean, as you guys are going through and 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 creating like this, you know, like woke feeling among people. Like, what are you hearing from from folks that you're talking to about their caregiver status, especially when they had no idea that they were in that and especially when they never even thought to look at it as like oh my god I'm in a sandwich here yeah. oh my gosh and I would say many of them 
you know, it's not a sandwich. It's not even a club sandwich. It's like a big ooey gooey mess of like layers all over. Calzone. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like a calzone upon calzones about calzones, right? So the first thing and the thing that we hear most often, and this usually happens in a progression as someone is interacting with the Archangels platform, is we'll have individuals start with, I'm not a caregiver. And then what they usually add is, I'm just, I'm just a daughter, I'm just a son, I'm just a partner, I'm just a neighbor, I'm just a God-fearing person, yeah. right? And so as you walk somebody through, you know, the going through the platform is in and of itself an intervention and in that it helps somebody come to the realization, oh my gosh, this is you. And then as importantly, it gives somebody not only validation in that role, but language to use. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Because you're madly in love with your man, yes. I am madly in love with my man. I will also say that over the last six months, our caregiver situation has drastically intensified. We have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old and then multiple other situations that we're directly responsible for. I'm seeing a lot of tweets with your dad. Yeah, my adorable, delicious dad. I love that man, right? <laughs> so he's now moved from Austin, Texas to be with us in Boston, and that has simmered down. But there's another situation that has flared. And so over the holidays, when things were particularly awful, um, there was a moment that I stormed, you know, out of my office and went to Antonio, whom I adore. And I was like, uh, I don't think you and I are getting along. Like, I just don't think our relationship's working. Like, this is just, this is just not good. And to his credit, partially because he knew the data and partially because he knew the language, he looked at me calmly and said, I think you're just in the red, right? So that's the index puts you in the green, yellow, or red. Okay. And it tells you the top two things driving your intensity and the top two things alleviating it. By having that language, he averted a way bigger argument. Of course, in the moment, I was like, screw you. I'm not in the right amount How of dare you turn my intensity scale against me? What are you thinking? Exactly. But within an hour, I was like, you know what? I think you're right. And my kids use that language, and coworkers use that language. And whenever we roll out across a population, what you see very quickly is people take this two-and-a-half-minute validating quiz, right? Like a, it's been called a Cosmo quiz or two-and-a-half-minute therapy session. And then they adopt the language, and it gives them an ability, a common platform to share with other people, I'm in the red, or better, I'm in the green and you're in the red, what can I do for you, right? Yeah. So it helps somebody have that way to connect. And then obviously it tells people what they need help with the most, which matters too. All right, you know, Alex, you said you're working with health plans on this and employers, right? So it's like, what's their appetite for supporting caregivers? Because I feel like this is something that is quietly starting to gain some momentum. What are you seeing? Is there enough momentum behind this yet? I mean, what's your take on the people who are paying to provide this stuff? Is there enough interest here? How can we get more? And what's your take on it? So I would say COVID, you know, before COVID, we knew about 21 to 23%, thank you NAC and AARP, of individuals were in this role. As of COVID, everything has shifted, and it's that 43% number. And I think there's a couple things we've seen. First of all, just the sheer volume of people who are in this role um, and can no longer show up to work or have had to quit, right, or are now seeing horrific health consequences. There's another thing that you and I both know always happens, right? It's one thing to read something in a report. It's another thing when it happens to you. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a huge percentage of folks who are in decision-making capacities, whether that is at a state, local, federal, running a health plan, running a um, employer perspective, that all of a sudden they can't handle the pressure. Their, their caregiving, intensi caregiving intensity is through the roof. It's amazing how quickly people oh, yeah. find the light when they're like, good Lord, this is hard, hard. Yeah. right? And we know, we published with the Journal of Affective Disorders, that if this is your baseline of intensity, right, caregiver intensity as measured by the index, 
and you're looking at what things further increase that risk of mental health impact, it's the populations who are most at risk. So am I black, am I Latinx, Hispanic, am I an essential worker, am I living in a rural area, am I younger, right? So by giving someone an opportunity to be seen in their reality, you can then crosswalk them over to those resources, whatever they may be. If you're lucky enough to be at an employer who has seen the light and they've bought one of these super sexy caregiver support programs, awesome, right? Then we can just crosswalk you right over there. What I would say is there's a lot of employers who either haven't seen the light or couldn't afford it even if they did, yeah. but they have other resources that exist. They might have a financial advisor on call. They maybe have a, please Lord, a telehealth platform. Yeah. Telebehavioral health would be even better, right? They might have um, contracted with a childcare um, entity that they could crosswalk somebody over to. And then in some circumstances, we have customers and partners who don't have any resources at all. But that's okay, because the state does, right? Okay. Every single state across the country. If you go to archangels.me and go to our resources, we will find you a resource that is available. Um, it's not gonna be as sexy or sophisticated as having a person picking up a phone or right. answering a text that says for you specifically with your benefits, this is what you can do, but it's a whole lot better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to me about some of the partnerships that you have. Like I know about you working at Walmart, which is amazing, if you wanna share that story here. And I know you, about you being a spokesperson for Prudential. So, I mean, talk to me about those two. I mean, those are very high profile. Are there any other ones that I'm missing, first of all? But then talk to me a little bit about working with those organizations, I mean, those are, mega brands as far as I'm concerned and the fact that they're interested in talking about caregiving and about the stresses that a caregiver feels from those two widely like wildly different perspectives like financial services and insurance all the way down to like you know retail like talk to me about that so they they were related um, and wildly wildly different the Walmart experience came about because I had this epiphany that I lived in a bubble and I felt as though I traveled in these very privileged circles, interacting with people who had the resources and access and ability to care for themselves for the most part in the way that they wanted. It's not perfect, but it was something. And meanwhile, I'm reading all these reports that make it very clear that there's enormous disparity and that for the large percentage of the US, they don't have access to any support whatsoever. Yeah. And it hit me, I don't have firsthand knowledge of that. And so I, I wanted to get out of my bubble, so to speak, and so I went to be a cashier at Walmart. And I was at store 2660 in North Reading. And it was extraordinary on so many levels. I think for me, one of the greatest epiphanies was just realizing that we are all way more alike than different. Yeah. If you're talking about something as foundational as caring for someone else or being cared for yourself, it really doesn't matter who you voted for, what club you're part of, which team you don't like. That is something that is akin to all of us. So that was a massive learning. And then the other component was just realizing that at ELISA we realized do not wait for people to come into the healthcare system, reach out to those who are not engaged, and we did that with an omni-channel platform. Yeah. Same thing with Archangels. Like yeah. why was I waiting for people to come into a health plan? A lot of the people that we want to support at Archangels, they've lost their coverage. Right. They've never started a job in the first place. So what we look at is how can we use retail, or now way more broadly, community as the front line of health and get out into those little nooks and crannies of um, spaces across the country that have the people who need the help the most, are the least likely to be aware of it, the least likely to have access to resources. We find them, we get them validated, we get them to know that they're not alone, and then we crosswalk them over to these things that exist. Got it.
Alex, like, it's so exciting to hear all this stuff you're doing. Well, thing, I, I have to call out the, the, the bracelets here. You're like a, like a jazzier Wonder Woman. I love this. <laughs> well, I will say, because we talked about our, um, our work with them on the main stage this oh, morning with Woo. Right. With Woo. Yeah, so one of the things um, that we were able to do is really show the impact for unpaid caregivers of, of that stress as it manifests all the way through to your clinical health. So it is these unpaid caregivers. They're not just someone you should be targeting because they're rock stars. Um, because they are extraordinary humans, but there is a very real measurable impact on the health, mental and, and otherwise, of someone who's in this role. I love the way that you are quantifying it because that is helping support a whole lot of need in terms of being able to articulate. Awesome. Thank you so much. I, oh my God. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That's Alex Drain, everybody. For those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting her before, I'm Jessica Damasa. And for more interviews with the who's who of health tech, as they are changing the way that we do healthcare, head on over to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash WTF health. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's Jess. If you're looking for more news on what's going on in health tech, I've got another show airing on this channel called Health Tech Deals. In this one, famous healthcare curmudgeon Matthew Holt joins me twice a week to weigh in on the biggest funding deals, M&A activity, and exits in health tech. Just look for episodes labeled Health Tech Deals.